where all my children are the light Born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right My people are warriors, all we know is to fight Pray, they see God in everything I write yeah. Hey everybody, welcome to On One with Angela Rye It is the Windbreaker edition because I wore my noisy jacket And the podcast engineer's not feeling it So if you hear some wrestling, y'all know I move And I, you know, I'm always in movement So This week, um, it has been one hell of a week. February is out here acting like it also wants to stay in 2019, like it's best friend January. I started my new year over again on February 1st, and now it's starting to seem like I'm going to have to do that again in March, a redo. I'm going to try to stay positive, y'all, but it's going to be real tough for this podcast because this week has been really rough. I have the unfortunate task of getting you all the latest and greatest. I don't think I can say greatest, at least all the latest on the debacle that is the Iowa caucus results, the state of the union, or as Nancy Pelosi, the speaker of the house said, the state of his mind and child, we know that's a hot ass mess. The Senate's blatant inability to remove Donald Trump from office, which is not only a miscarriage of justice, it's a wanton disregard for righteousness. I want you to remember to join in the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag on one with Angela Rye. And as always, you can stay in my Instagram comments. I just hope we can keep the trolls out. Let's start with Iowa caucuses. So the New York Times um, is reporting that more than 100 precincts um, reported results that were internally inconsistent, that were missing data or that were not possible under the complex rules of the Iowa caucuses. More on complex In a little bit. But for example, vote tallies weren't adding up. Precincts allotted the wrong number of delegates to candidates. And in some other instances, the Iowa Democratic Party's reported results are not in alignment or don't sync up with reported precinct results. While this does not mean that the election was rigged, sounds like a Bernie Sanders moment, or that there was any deliberate effort at all to compromise the caucus results, It is nonetheless troubling and it merely begs the question, why the hell Iowa anyway? My first question is for the Iowa Democratic Party. Why in the hell would you roll out a new app that nobody has practiced on? Pretty much none of your precinct captains downloaded for the first contest in the Democratic primary. That is not surprisingly susceptible to hacking. It's susceptible to hacking, too. There's no proof of that yet. There's no evidence that it was hacked. But given our experiences in both the 2016 and the 2018 elections in this country, you can't help to pay attention to your spidey senses tingling just a little bit. Number two, Iowa Democratic Party. After you saw the app was not working on Monday, why wouldn't you just do an immediate hand count? As my friend Michael Harriet said on Twitter, if you just would have solicited any local deacon board, they would have had that thing counted down to the penny in minutes. Third, why did y'all stop answering the phone? People were on hold for hours trying to just report in the results. The last question I have, and I think, frankly, it's the most pressing question. Aya, why are you first? That's what we really want to know. You're more than 90% white, at least almost 90% white. You don't represent the base. You don't represent the party. And you don't have enough people living in the state anyway. You shouldn't be first. So because you see questions one and three don't even matter if you just aren't first. So let's go back to when former presidential candidate Julian Castro first raised this very important question. We can't say 
to black women. Oh, thank you, thank you. You're the ones that are powering our victories in places like Alabama and in 2018. And then turn around and start our nominating contest in the two states that have barely any black people in them. I mean, that doesn't make sense. We can't, as a Democratic Party, continually and justifiably complain about Republicans who suppress the votes of people of color and then turn around and start our nominating contests in two states that, even though they take their role seriously, hardly have any people of color. That's just the truth. And it is just the truth. And I think that it's time for the party to reckon with the truth. You cannot continue to to go into black churches, into black community organizations, into black organizing entities, into labor unions and say that you value our votes. One person, one vote. But you don't see any people of color until you get to South Carolina. That ordering doesn't make sense. And it's time for folks to really have to wrestle with this in Democratic Party leadership. Here's the thing. The caucus process itself is not even real democracy. It's not one person, one vote there either. I know I serve a God of second chances. So maybe I'll just design your primary that way. But it's confusing and it sets the stage all wrong. While the party is in the middle of finding itself, its new identity, determining who its base really is, even though a lot of us already know who the base really is, it's imperative for us to ask why and to answer it. Because it's always been that way is not a good enough answer and it never has been. But it's the answer that stuck. This why is a must answer because of the ordering, because of the amount of money it takes to run a campaign. We lost the majority of the candidates of color in this race. If you count Deval Patrick, it's half. We don't have Kamala Harris. We don't have Cory Booker. We don't have Julian Castro anymore. We lost three people who were speaking directly to issues of concern to voters of color on the debate stage. So the big tent right now, it looks like a big, rich white tent, especially when you look at who qualifies for the debate stage. That said, kudos to Mayor Pete and to Bernie Sanders for ending the caucus debacle in a dead heat at 26.2 and 26.1 respectively, at least as of the latest count, not by the Deacon Board. And uh, Mayor Pete, as we know, declared victory on Monday night. There were some people who were bothered that he did that, but it was his game to play. He clearly knew. Despite a winner still not being declared, it was a historic night for Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete became the first openly gay candidate in American history to earn presidential primary delegates towards a major party's nominating process. On Monday night, he called his husband Chasen the future first gentleman of the United States. The two later hugged on stage. And on Tuesday, Mayor Pete said it validates for a kid somewhere in a community wondering if he belongs or she belongs or they belong in their own family. That if you believe in yourself and your country, there's a lot backing up that belief. To his credit, Mayor Pete also raised $2.7 million in the days right after Iowa. And the campaign said that 22,000 of those donations came from donors brand new to the campaign. 63,841 individual donations made up that $2.7 million fundraise for him. And I think it's also important for us to listen to his acceptance speech on Iowa caucus night. Because tonight... An improbable hope became an undeniable reality.
So we don't know all the results. But we know by the time it's all said and done, Iowa, you have shocked the nation. Because by all indications, we are going on to New Hampshire victorious. And here's the thing. It's important for us to acknowledge that Mayor Pete has come a long way. And whether it ends up being a tie or not, this is a big deal for him and for history. Mayor Pete has remained in the bottom half of the polls for most of the primary season, but was doing a lot better in Iowa, where he once knocked on doors for President Obama at the end of 2007 and in 2008 before the caucuses. But Bernie said on Thursday that he won based off the initial alignment results from Monday's caucus. He pointed out that at that point, with 97 precincts reporting that his campaign was leading by some 6000 votes in the vote um, in the vote tally from the initial alignment at the caucuses. According to another metric released by the Iowa Democratic Party, Sanders was leading more than by more than 2000 in the raw vote. Um, We know that some are saying that these votes have to be recounted, including the Democratic Party chair, Tom Perez. We'll get to that later. But Sanders tweeted, I want to thank the people of Iowa for the very strong victory they gave us at the Iowa caucuses on Monday night. Some 6000 Iowans came out to support us than any other candidate with eight strong candidates competing. That is a decisive margin of victory. He went on to say a lot in a press conference, but let's hear from Bernie Sanders when he declared Victory over Pete Buttigieg in Iowa caucuses. By the way, um, it's interesting to hear the uh, Buttigieg tramp, boot edge edge, boot edge edge, as we heard in the last uh, clip. For the inability of the Iowa Democratic Party to count votes in a timely fashion. That screw up has been extremely unfair to the people of Iowa. It has been unfair to the candidates, all of the candidates, and all of their supporters. So what I want to do today, three days late, is to thank the people of Iowa for the very strong victory they gave us at the Iowa caucuses on Monday night. Even though the vote tabulations have been extremely slow, we are now at a point with some 97% of the precincts reporting where our campaign is winning the popular initial vote by some 6,000 votes. In other words, some 6,000 more Iowans came out on caucus night to support our candidacy than the candidacy of anyone else. And when 6,000 more people come out for you in an election uh, than your nearest opponent, uh, we here in Northern New England call that a victory. Uh, Further in Iowa, as you all know, there is a realignment process uh, where people who supported a candidate with less than 15% in the room can cast a vote in a second round for a different candidate. That's that realignment process. In that process, we are now ahead by over 2,500 votes. 
And so Bernie Sanders declared victory a little bit later than um, Buttigieg did. But um, what is also notable is that Elizabeth Warren placed third with 18 percent of the vote. And Biden, Joe Biden, who was the Democratic frontrunner, who was deemed as certainly the establishment pick, placed in a distant fourth with 15.8 percent. What is interesting about this election is people are really rejecting the idea of an heir apparent. With Warren's placement um, in third, um, she has begun to pull TV ads in Nevada and in South Carolina saying she wants to be careful about how they're spending money. Um, And on Tuesday, Warren's campaign canceled advertisements that were slated to run on TV in Nevada and South Carolina from February 17th to the 23rd, which costs about $375,000. Um, here is Elizabeth Warren on her perspective on the delayed Iowa results. I'm really disappointed. Um, I, we came out of Iowa knowing it is a tight three-way race at the top. She also said that it was important that Iowa get it together and release all of the data in a spirit of transparency, which I don't think there are too many of us who disagree with that. With Joe Biden placing in fourth in Iowa, Um, it is, it's going to be a challenge for his campaign to raise money, to move forward, to demonstrate how they'll be formidable. They have Tuesday to show in New Hampshire that they are, um, they can still be the front runner. Um, there was someone on the uh, campaign, a top level Biden campaign staffer who said we had precinct captains who didn't know how to run a caucus and a few didn't even show up. We lost friggin people on the second ballot of voting in the caucus. Someone's head had to roll. Here's Joe Biden on looking ahead to New Hampshire. I'm here to say that uh, every single solitary vote is going to matter in this primary. You know, uh, uh, we're uh, 24 hours later. They're still trying to figure out uh, what happened in Iowa. (laughs) At this rate, New Hampshire will be the first in the country to get the vote. I am not going to sugarcoat it. We took a gut punch in Iowa. The whole process took a gut punch. But look, uh, this isn't the first time in my life I've been knocked down. And it's not the first time that he's been knocked down. But I think it is um, clear to say for someone who entered the race as a front runner, um, for Democrats to think that Joe Biden would be the heir apparent, this was quite a gut punch and a huge surprise. Another big surprise to me is how well Amy Klobuchar performed in the Iowa caucuses. I'm curious to see if she can continue at this rate, given her prosecutorial record, which Kamala Harris took several blows for Um, her uh, ability to align on several of Donald Trump's judicial nominations and voting for them in the Senate, as well as some of her debate performances. You could see Amy Klobuchar in several debate performances Um, looking for that viral moment. And in some instances, it looked pretty desperate. So we'll see what happens there. The last thing I want to say on this is about the DNC's response. On Thursday, Tom Perez, who is the party chairman, called for a re-canvassing of Iowa results. He said on Twitter, enough is enough. In light of the problems that have emerged in the implementation of the delegate selection plan, And in order to assure public confidence in the results, I am calling on the Iowa Democratic Party to immediately begin a re-canvas. He followed this tweet with saying a re-canvas is a review of the worksheets from each caucus site to ensure accuracy. The IDP, which is the Iowa Democratic Party, will continue to report results. 
This punts to Iowa. And I think this goes back to the fourth and last question, which is why the hell Iowa anyway? We wouldn't even be in the middle of this mess if we just would have done the right thing by the party and by the party supporters and make sure we're in a state that represents a microcosm of how the party appears to begin with. A big tent. You would think that your unprecedented president would have found a way in his heart or mind to become more presidential for a State of the Union address that would take place just a day before a vote to remove his trifling behind from office. But no, this is the same president who said he could do this. And you know what else they say about my people? The polls. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. Yeah, it's not incredible, actually, but it is really scary. And what you're seeing is whatever those polls are saying about Trump supporters has clearly extended to the Republican Party um, in the House and certainly in the Senate. More on the vote later, but two weeks into the impeachment trial. And he delivers what Nancy Pelosi called the state of his mind. At the beginning of the speech, Donald Trump set the tone by refusing to shake the hand of Speaker Pelosi. Your petty president wouldn't have it any other way. Like who throws shade at a prayer breakfast, which I also need to play y'all. Because even though this wasn't the state of the union, it is important. As everybody knows, my family, our great country, and your president have been put through a terrible ordeal by some very dishonest and corrupt people. They have done everything possible to destroy us and by so doing very badly hurt our nation. They know what they are doing is wrong, but they put themselves far ahead they know what they're doing is wrong. He refuses to acknowledge what he did is wrong. I would have loved to play you a clip of Bill Clinton's speech after um, his impeachment vote while he was in his second term because there are light years of difference. Bill Clinton was apologizing and citing scripture. Meanwhile, Donald Trump at the prayer breakfast was citing something else. I don't know what Bible book that's from. Nevertheless, the feckless Republican shouted four more years before Trump even opened his mouth to start his State of the Union speech. Some other highlights for me were uh, Congressman Clyburn, who serves as the majority whip from beginning to end. He was SMHing. He was shaking his head. It was incredible. Um, there was a Tuskegee Airman, Charles McGee, who was one of the last surviving um, mentioned during President uh, Trump's speech. And um, just a note on this, it is infl it's just maddening to me that Charles McGee could be at the speech, given all the Tuskegee Airmen did to preserve this country, um, to be true heroes and patriots for him not to receive um, the Medal of Honor from Donald Trump. Instead, it was given to Rush Limbaugh, which we'll talk about later. But just to, some notes on this. Charles McGee flew a record 409 combat missions. During World War II, Charles McGee escorted bombers over Germany, Austria, and the Balkans. During the Korean and Vietnam Wars, Charles McGee participated in 100 interdiction missions and 173 reconnaissance missions. Charles McGee is a true American hero who was glossed over for Rush Limbaugh. There was also a black veteran who struggled with drug use. Um, President Tony Rankins, who is an Afghanistan veteran, 
was addicted to drugs, but turned his life around. There was another black army veteran, Paul Morrow, who now owns a successful government contracting business called SDAC. He's building a concrete plant in an opportunity zone in Montgomery and was part of the Black Voices for Trump rally in Atlanta in November and praised the Trump administration for its work on opportunity zone legislation. Opportunity zones will be great if we actually get the opportunities, but I digress. They also had a fourth grade scholarship winner um, present and it was to bring attention to school choice. So unfortunate, Miss Janiah Davis um, and her mother, Stephanie, were used as props. And we saw that when Betsy DeVos announced how she was going to use her money um, to support this. And most of it was going to administrations and not to this child. Um, there was also a soldier who was reunited with his family. Sergeant First Class Townsend Williams, who was on his fourth deployment to the Middle East, was reunited with his wife and two children during the State of the Union. Last but certainly not least, um, actually it is pretty least if you want to talk about it, but Rush Limbaugh was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Yes, the bigot Rush Limbaugh. Yes, the racist Rush Limbaugh. Yes, the birther Rush Limbaugh given the Presidential Medal of Freedom when he worked very diligently to keep so many of us in bondage. He announced that he had lung cancer recently and, you know, prayers to Rush Limbaugh, but we've not forgotten what you've said and said without apology or repentance. To me, the final highlight of the night was when Nancy Pelosi took up her two portions of the State of the Union speech and ripped it right on camera high enough for everybody to see. People wanted to say that it was classless of her, but perhaps they forgot that moment at the beginning when Donald Trump would not even shake her hand. I think it's really important for us to understand that this particular speech was used to cause um, kind of further divide within the black community on voting and how we would vote. Donald Trump used his black guests as pawns. And we have to be very honest about that. We know that he doesn't care about black people. We know that in that first um, campaign, he asked us what in the hell we have to lose. We know that it's everything. And we know that this president has not served us well. Sure. We also know that the Democratic Party has not served us well. But let's not do the lesser of two evils thing here. It's very clear the judicial appointments alone that Donald Trump has um, has put has nominated the folks that he's nominated alone. Now, the more than one hundred and eighty seven who have been confirmed in the Senate have lifetime appointments that will cause us a lifetime of pain if we're not ready to fight back. I think the other thing that is super important are the folks who stayed out of the State of the Union speech. Um, members of Congress, Ayanna Presley. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the real people's champ, Maxine Waters, Al Green, Benny Thompson, Bobby Rush, Steve Cohen, Earl Blumenauer, Hank Johnson, and Frederica Wilson did not attend the State of the Union. Ayanna Presley said the State of the Union is hurting because of the occupant of the White House who consistently demonstrates contempt for the American people, contempt for Congress, and contempt for our Constitution. I cannot in good conscience attend tonight's sham. Congresswoman Waters said to think that I would attend the State of the Union to hear the message of an impeached president is a thought that in no way would be consistent with my fight and struggle against the dishonorable president. I will certainly not be there. Congresswoman, as you know, we stand right with you. The impeachment vote. Y'all, I still was hoping that there would be somebody courageous enough to stand up for righteousness in 
the Republican-led Senate. But of course, my hopes were wrong. They were not in alignment with truth. They were not in alignment with courage that the Senate does not have. So, of course, the Senate voted to acquit Donald Trump on two articles of impeachment as the trial comes to an end. The vote was made. Um, the, they had the vote after not calling a single witness. Um, so what kind of trial do you have without a single witness? And after the failed witness vote, the trial, of course, comes to an end. There's nothing else to talk about. You had openings, you had closing, you had um, logistical votes, procedural votes, but you did not have a single witness called. The Senate argued that all of that should have been handled on the House side. That's not how a trial works. That's not the way a trial is set up. So the Senate determined that Donald Trump was not guilty of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. I want to remind my listeners, those who sat through and listened to I think it was a four part series where we read through the entire Mueller report. This impeachment vote wasn't about the Mueller report. This impeachment vote was not about Donald Trump's obstruction of Congress as it dealt with Russia. This impeachment vote had nothing to do with the obstruction of justice as it had to do with Russia. This was all about the Ukraine aid, foreign aid to Ukraine and him withholding that aid, trying to get dirt on a political opponent, Joe Biden. I believe also that has probably hurt Joe Biden. We know that when um, Hillary Clinton was running for office, the um, just the blame of her not being completely upfront and them um, saying that she had something to do with Benghazi and how it went down, that hurt her a great deal. Her not turning over her email servers, those allegations turned um, really hurt her a great deal. And I think that same thing is coming to pass with Joe Biden. But the fact that he's able to play, play hard and not play fair is hurting us. Donald Trump is the third president to be impeached, but he will be the first one to be impeached while running for a second term. The results of the vote were, again, abuse of power, 52 to 48, not guilty. An obstruction of Congress vote, 53 to 47, not guilty. Um, Mitt Romney who um, we laughed at so much in the 2012 um, election. I think it's now interesting to see that Mitt Romney, this same person, made history as the first senator to vote to remove a president of his own party. Um, Mitt Romney gave an impassioned speech on why. There were Democrats like Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, and Doug Jones of Alabama, who all voted to convict the president, but weren't sure how they were going to or if they were going to do that. Going back briefly to Mitt Romney, um, I think that it's important for us to hear him talk about what he had to do to wrestle with his faith and what it meant to be an impartial juror in the Senate and why he voted uh, to convict Donald Trump of at least one count. The allegations made in the articles of impeachment are very serious. As a senator juror, I swore an oath before God to exercise impartial justice. I am profoundly religious. My faith is at the heart of who I am. I take an oath before God as enormously consequential. I knew from the outset that being tasked with judging the president, the leader of my own party, would be the most difficult decision I have ever faced. The grave question the Constitution tasks senators to answer is whether the president committed an act so extreme and egregious that it rises to the level of a high crime 
and misdemeanor. Yes, he did. The president asked a foreign government to investigate his political rival. The president withheld vital military funds from that government to press it to do so. The president delayed funds for an American ally at war with Russian invaders. The president's purpose was personal and political. Accordingly, the president is guilty of an appalling abuse of public trust. What he did was not perfect. No, it was a flagrant assault on our electoral rights, our national security, and our fundamental values. Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine. So, uh, yes, Mitt Romney voted to convict Donald Trump on at least one of the counts. But Nancy Pelosi wanted to remind y'all that regardless of what the Senate did, he is this. He's impeached forever, no matter what he says or whatever headlines he wants to carry around. You're impeached forever. You're never getting rid of that scar. Uh, and history will always record that you were impeached for undermining the security of our country, jeopardizing the integrity of our elections and violating the Constitution of the United States. And that's on period from Nancy. OK, the other thing that we have is what Mitch McConnell said in response to Nancy Pelosi. She said that I mean, he said <laughs> she said he said the Speaker of the House says that she refuses to accept this acquittal. Mr. McConnell said, whatever that means, perhaps she will tear up the verdict like she tore up the State of the Union address. So I would ask my distinguished colleagues across the aisle, is this really, really where you want to go? We've already went there, Mitch. Thanks to y'all. Thank you for that leadership. Donald Trump also in response to being acquitted in the White House on Thursday during what he called a celebration said the following. It was evil. It was corrupt. It was dirty cops. Uh, it was leakers and liars, and this should never, ever happen to another president, ever. We were treated unbelievably unfairly, and you have to understand, uh, we first went through Russia, Russia, Russia. It was all bullshit. So we had a campaign. Little did we know we were running against some very, very bad and evil people with fake dossiers with all of these horrible, dirty cops that took these dossiers and did bad things. They knew all about it. The FISA courts should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, it's a very tough thing. And then we ended up winning on Russia, Russia, Russia. It should have taken the one day, as I said, and it took years. Then Bob Mueller testified. That didn't work out so well for the other side. Oh, I can't stand him. Anyway, here's the thing. I think it's really important for all of us, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, independent, don't want to be identified one way or the other, to really talk about our now what. Our now what is this. There were senators like Susan Collins, um, who is who has a primary opponent, by the way, I believe, she, or at least she has an opponent in the Senate, in her Senate contest coming up. You have other senators like Lamar Alexander from Tennessee saying that, you know, this whole process will make Donald Trump learn his lesson the very next day 
at the prayer breakfast where you should be on your best behavior. Don't y'all act right at church on Sundays? Like the very next day, he was already leaning into the lie, calling people dirty cops and liars and bad people that want to get him and make his family feel bad. He's not learned a single lesson. In fact, I think this emboldens the president. So what we have to talk about is our now what? Now that he was impeached, is impeached, but not removed, now what? Now that he's been impeached and we still have things that we need to see some movement on, like infrastructure and healthcare, and we need to preserve the lives of people who need to just make it every day. SNAP benefits have been cut. We need to ensure that HBCU funding is okay. Our now what is we have to ensure that there are elected officials in power and emboldened to do the right thing by our communities. Our now what is completely in our hands. I challenge you all to not give up by the fact that, yes, this man should have been not just impeached, but removed. I challenge you all to lean into the fact that the Senate doesn't serve us and they can be voted out. We can reclaim that majority. We can work with people who actually have more of our better interests at heart than the people who blatantly ignore them all because they're scared of a president who has no moral bounds, all because they're afraid of a president that is completely incompetent, all because they're beholden to a president that will vote in judges they like and morals be damned. We can do better, y'all, and we got to do better. Our now what is on us. All right. This is our Ask Angela segment of On One. It is um, super important to us that we're always finding ways to connect with you all. Um, And this is just one of those ways today. The questions will be asked by Byron Edwards on our team, social media guru extraordinaire. And, (laughs) And we'll get started now. Well, we have Byron. All right. So you got some good questions that came in. Question one, what are some of your 2020 goals and has your life direction changed now that you've hit 40? Yes. Life direction is completely changed after hitting 40. Um, first 2020 goal is to really finish this book. Um, second 2020 goal would be, um, it's just a personal one. And that is like, I'm somebody who's always rushing around. And it's becoming increasingly more important to me to make people feel like they matter. And you can do that just by like stopping for a moment when you ask someone, how are you doing? Really waiting for the answer and like listening to the whole answer and being super present with that. Shout out to Pastor Ture on the um, present uh, sermon on being present recently because I've been listening to that over Mm -hmm. and over again. Um, and that's just a person, like, I really want to do that. I want to make people feel as valuable and as important as some of like the most impressive people in my life do. So that's a personal goal. Um, I also really want to be a lot more consistent with the podcast. Um, I think the political shows that we've done, the live ones have been super dope and I want to keep doing that. Um, what else? Um, from the standpoint of like what's changed since 40, I would say, I came into 40 really feeling like, um, okay, everything is going to come together. It's all going to make sense. It's going to shape like glue. And it's, you know, it's like, it's not real life. That is not what's happened. 90 so, days in, it's like, yeah. It's like, what is this actually? I'm not clear. It's, you know, and so I think the one thing from 40 is the freedom to say, I don't know. And the freedom to ask for help. The one thing where I am struggling and I've been talking about it with my holistic therapist is 
I'm really good at receiving the good stuff now. But the bad stuff, I'm like, y'all can keep that. Like the constructive criticism, I just want it to be right and perfect. And um, the harsh reality that I'm not as perfect as I've been trying to create the image of is is tough too. But we'll save that for the therapy segment next time. Okay. Well, going into the next question, would you ever consider running for president no. in the future? Mm-mm. Mm, okay, so Montauk's no, claim on calling. Instagram. Aaron's over here laughing happening. like, no, that's not, that's not even my calling. Okay. Well, it's not even my purpose in life. So no, twenty fifty. Nah. Okay. How nah, did I, I be in twenty fifty? Nah. That's all <laughs> I tried to give you some time. 70? You know. Oh, Look sorry. No shade to Joe Biden, yeah. Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Y'all are young seventies. I'm not gonna be a young seventy. I'm gonna hopefully be having grandkids or somebody. Amen. Retired, living the I life. I have to have babies now. Yeah, All right, see. so the next one is from Queen of Beautiful on Instagram, and she asks, what is your skincare routine and what do you like to use? So drop that skincare routine, sis. I need endorsement deals to drop uh-huh. the skincare routine. But here's what I will say. I wash um, my face every day. I have, I will just tell you the products. I use um, Dermalogica soap um, a couple of times a week. I use this almond scrub from this store called Erewhon that is so awesome it smells like brown sugar but i don't know the name of it so i can't give that endorsement and then um i use this oil on my face this right here is not a glow it's actually pretty greasy i let it soak in but it's this oil called um i feel like it's called boots organic at least it used to be called that but you can get it at target it smells really good oh good so it's affordable i was trying to see if you could smell it did you see that i I was gonna Mm -hmm. let you smell it but i can't smell anymore now it smells like my skin well i thought it was a glow but now that you let us know that it's just greasy see that's oily i mean it is a glow too because i am anointed but this is greasy right now see can you guys see that it's greasy it don't look greasy in person though Okay. That's good to know. I don't mind being greasy because I'm dry. Like my skin is really dry. Oh, the other thing, one of my friends told me a long time ago, there's this um stuff that in this green tube from Alita called skin food. And it's for your hands, but I put that on my face on the plane. That is epic. It's no blemishes. It's no like now that I'm That's a lie. Out. It's a pimple right here. Right there. And then there's one. Hold on. There's some right here. We're going to get into it. Anyway, we, we, I'm fine with it. I normally get um, pimples like closer to my period. But. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So, yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Hormones. Not, not, now I'll know. When you pop up, I'll be like, oh, okay, cool. That, not necessarily because this um, one is not period related. I don't know what happened with this. Okay. Well, but, on right to the next question from it Adina. It hurts. <laughs> it feels like a like a. It's like an episode bump. of the pimple popper. Oh, no. I'm not popping it. I'm just but, like pushing it. <laughs> This one actually kind of hurts. Okay, I knew this was going to happen. Let's get back on message. Adina McGriff on Instagram has a serious question. She said, do you ever... You serious? I mean... That's just how she phrased it. I have a serious question. You know, she wanted to know if you ever got the question, are you biracial? Because as a light-skinned woman, I get the question a lot, and I just want to know how it makes you feel. Okay, so ask my mom and daddy how it makes them feel. I'm not biracial, but if you like compile all of the whiteness in my um, gene genetic pool, there's probably a good half. So I'm not directly biracial, like neither of my parents are white, but there's a good amount of European uh, yeah, um, ancestry in my um, 
in my DNA. Okay. But I identify as a black woman. As we know, race, race is a social construct. Just ask Rachel Dolezal, who follows me on Twitter. Um, but I don't identify as a Rachel. I identify as a black woman. I was very much raised as a black woman. That's good. So, so No, I'm not biracial. And it annoys me when people decide that I'm like one of my parents is white. Like I've posted pictures on social media. But I was like, which one? Which one of these two is white? So Adina McGriff. She is not biracial. Everybody in the comments, she is not biracial. There was more comments on that? You you, you get that question a lot. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that. You get that one a lot. Um, the next one is from Bowtie Bandit. I thought she was about to say Botox something. Bowtie. Bowtie. This would be the Bandit. whole skin episode if we had to do the Botox one again. But I have had Botox before. I like Botox. I haven't did I haven't it in a long it. time, but I could use some right now. And then I use it for it migraines. They put one... It works for migraines. Yeah, a lot of a lot I of people. Tell my who, brother he mm-hmm. gets migraines. If you suffer from migraines, they'll give you Botox. Did you just hear my stomach again? Oh my god, there's a whole thunderstorm. You guys, I'm so hungry. Okay, let's keep going. All right, Botox Bandit, Angela. What's your advice to dads raising daughters? What mm. are some of the things that your parents exposed you to that helped you become the woman you are today? I love this question. So first of all, shout out to Eddie Wright Jr., my dad, my best friend, dad. Um. I definitely have a girl dad. I know that hashtag was trending around Kobe the other day. I would say um, the advice I would give is to spend a lot of time with your kids, um, with your girls, having real conversations. My dad used to take me to meetings. I would be ear hustling on all his phone calls. You can't help it because he talks real loud on the phone. Um, But I would just say spend a lot of time with them, teaching them about themselves, about their power, Um, ensuring they know that you believe they can do anything and everything because that is exactly how they'll live out their truth in the world. Um, What else would I say? Um, Spoil them. Mm. Like, and I don't think all of that is material. Sometimes it's just with your time, with your love, um, with your interests. Go on father-daughter dates. Um, Just spend time with them. You know, one thing you said I thought was good was let them listen to your conference calls. Child, I didn't have any choice. Eddie Wright is so <laughs> loud on the phone. It is like my mom would laugh because my dad would talk out the phone. I talk on the phone out of the window like the window would be open. Mm-hmm. People would be walking their dogs down the street and jump like my dad is that loud on the phone. So, yeah, one of the yeah, no one of my favorite things in your stories that happens a lot is that when people see your dad or he's speaking. Yeah. They let you know and they tag you. So yeah. Always that just happened with Amazon. I'm going to speak at Amazon too. And I think in a couple of weeks, my dad was just there in Seattle speaking and they were like, you guys are a lot alike. I'm like, duh. Mm-hmm. My mom calls me Eddie Rye the third. I think he's junior. So I'd be the third. Shout out to girl dads. Girl dads. All right. The next one is what is your favorite movie of the year and the decade? The year 2020. They gave you 31 days. I haven't seen a movie this year. What? Just right. I mean, uh, Just Mercy. Just Mercy. That was in December. I saw oh, it in yeah, December. I saw it in December. All right. So what's your favorite movie of last year? Just Mercy was great. Um, It really, really was. I would say favorite movie of the decade. That's hard. That's... Pass. Next. Pass. Okay. Sorry, guys. Answered on social. Just Mercy was it. the answer I to Drake Goody. I love Brian Stevenson too. You got a good Michael interview. Jordan with was great. Mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx was great. That was a good, it was good casting. Shout out to the casting director. 
Shout out. We got to find out who that is. Yes. Maybe they can come on the podcast. Maybe yes, they can put maybe. you in a movie. Okay. <laughs> I need to learn. I need an acting coach. You do. Aaron, tell Mikel I need an acting coach. I asked for one. He ignored me. All right. The next jobs. one is from Only With God on Twitter. And it's, do you prefer the freedom of podcasting versus being on TV? Also, you're a great guest. Why not host? My podcast? I'm confused. What is he talking about hosting? Do you prefer the freedom of podcasting versus being on TV? I like them both. Okay, next part is the part I didn't understand. Now, I think they want you to host a TV show because you're a great guest. We hear the stomach. Shut up. They have a question for you, too. They're asking Angela when they're going to eat. Why you say there? People are going to think you're pregnant. It's a stomach in here that's growling. I'm not pregnant. Okay, what else happened? They think that you are a great guest when you appear on TV, but they want you to host. Oh, host on TV. TV. Mm -hmm. Me too. I want to too. Working on that. 2020. Only with God. 2020. Byron, what's the next question? Totally off topic, but how many men shoot their shot and die in the DMs per week? From Soul Brother 215. I think he might have been one of them. Ciao. A lot. What? Actually, here's my request. Brothers that shoot they shot and die in the DM. Can you guys just stop? Just stop. How you don't like that? that? No, it's not a dating app. If I wanted to be like pursued on social media, I would sign. Is Tinder still a thing? I don't think so. Now oh. everybody's using um Hinge, Bumble. Bumble, Bumble or Hinge, but I'm not on those apps. So, so maybe we should shoot our shot on some activism type stuff. Maybe we should mobilize to organize voters but what we're not gonna do is date on ig or anywhere else there's a guy in prison that dms regularly mm -hmm. yeah it's stressful and i don't mind i mean shout out to everybody who's incarcerated we love y'all but i just i don't it's not gonna happen so no apps just email mm -hmm. texting no activism no, no, no but also don't ask me for a date oh. on email or don't text me for a date or like I'm not dating right. I'm happy in a relationship right now. There you go. I so think that's the answer. Me, you know what? Maybe you should DM, do I have any friends for you? I'll see if they want to hook up with you through IG, but I'm not going to do that, sir. Or ma'am. It's happened with the ma'ams too. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's how you identify. They have all tried it. They, how about that? So it's a lot. I need an for acai soul, brother. My whole life is grumbling. <laughs> Stop, please. And since we are in February, Black History I'm so from Ill Wilson asks, what is your favorite most inspiring moment in Black History or what historic or contemporary individual inspires you? So definitely Angela Davis inspires me. My dad named me after Angela Davis. Absolutely inspiring. Um, one of my favorite moments is a rare one that a lot of people won't know, but I have a picture of it. We should repost that picture. Oh, Lord. We should repost that picture um, this month. But my dad, um, right after he helped to get the um, street name changed in Seattle from Empire Way to Martin Luther King Way, has he's riding on the top of this car and he's got the sign. He's got his feet kicked up on the car and he's like holding the sign. There's so much swag in that picture. So it's a favorite moment in black history, especially because he's gone on to ensure that um, King County in Washington State was renamed to Martin Luther King County. And it's a point of pride. Um, for the community, for our family, and definitely for my dad. So that's definitely one. That's good. Mm -hmm. All right. And then the last question from Uncle Drew 281. 
Mizrai, who are black leaders that we can look to to lead us out of the darkness that the black race is in? It started it starts with you, Uncle Drew. I think that we have to stop looking for figureheads and realize that we have the power to lead ourselves out of it. And once we learn like the power of our interconnectedness and the ability um, and the strength that we have in our unity, we'll be a lot better off. That's good. I think we got to get rid of the whole figurehead leadership thing. Mm -hmm. Nice. Oh my God. And that was my last question. This is my last. I'm going to get an acai bowl, y'all. It's been real. This has been on one with Angela Rye. My stomach is on one. I'm hungry. I'm going to go get a bowl. God bless you and your families. Thank you, Byron. Thanks for Aaron for being the audience of one. It was an audience of two with Byron, but praise the Lord, everybody. Have a good one. Striving to do right, my people are warriors All we know is the fight, praying to seek God And everything I write, yeah Who are my children of the light? Striving to do right, my people are warriors All we know is the fight, praying to seek God And everything I write, call me the yellow side I say I'm just my father's daughter Like Christ, my body beating, but I refuse to holler Won't give up the satisfaction, but I let the tears flow Steady praying for a father, forgive him, they don't know that the revolution will not be televised Twitter, Facebook, excuse me as I scrutinize Out of the mouth of this babe comes perfected praise as you